You're about to get stuck into another edition of the GP Fans Stewards Room podcast, breaking down all of the action from a racing weekend in the world of Formula One. And if you like what you hear and what you see, you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on all good podcasting outlets, including Spotify, Anchor.fm, our host and iTunes as well. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the subscribe button down below to stay up to date with all of our content there. And if you like the musings of you and Gail, Sam Hall or Ian Parks, Follow Twitter or Instagram at GPFansGlobal to stay up to date with all of the breaking news in the world of Formula One, or even just get on the website, gpfans.com. But now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to a special edition of the GP Fan Stewards Room podcast. We said we were going to bring out a few of these throughout the winter as we, of course, move away from the 2022 season. It's done and dusted in the books and get ready for 2023. Myself, Ollie Wilson, joined by the boffins at GP Fans, of course. Sam Hall, you and Gail, and Mr. Ian Parks. We're going to have a variety of topics this winter to get into, but the one that we thought we should kick off the winter podcast with is probably one of the most important questions for the racing viewing fan, and that is, were the new regulations that were brought in, aerodynamic regulations in 2022, successful for Formula One? Gentlemen, it's it's a big question, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of different factors to take in in terms of we saw more overtaking this season, a record season for overtakes according to the statistics. Pirelli were very chuffed with themselves as well for coming out and tooting their own horn about how they were able to be a part of that. So it may not have been all the aerodynamic regulations, perhaps down to the tyres as well, although we saw the wet tyres never get used, for instance. So how much patting on the back we can give Pirelli, I'm not really sure. Is there a short answer first quickly round the horn? One word, did it improve the new regulations, the racing on track? Sam? Yes. Ewan? Yep. Ian? Absolutely. Boom. Happy right, days. We end over. there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, this was this was kind of a landmark moment, the biggest shakeup of Formula One since the introduction of the turbo hybrid era, of course, Ian. This was a, a big risk for Formula One to take as well, changing the cars. And it wasn't all smooth sailing, particularly at the start of the season, as the drivers got to grips with these brand new car designs, bigger, wider cars to have to deal with, bulkier to take around the track as well. And it caused a lot of problems for some of the drivers, particularly some of the teams, but once they found solutions, we obviously had some great racing on the course throughout the year. We had great racing, but by and large, we didn't really have a great championship. That is, of course, if you compare it to last season, which, of course, was a championship for the ages that will go down in F1 history as one of the best of all time. And you have to think that that was because, as had long been predicted by Toto Wolff, that we would eventually get this convergence with regard to the engine regulations, the new power unit regulations that they came in at the start of 2014. It took a long time for that convergence to happen, pretty much seven years. Um, hopefully we don't have to wait seven years for these aerodynamic regulations to converge. I don't think that's going to be the case. The power unit regulations are way, way different to aerodynamics. There are too many clever people within each 
each aerodynamic department of every single team. And of course, we've got the budget cap to boot that helps enormously with regards to those lesser teams. I don't like to use the word, but put it into its context to a certain degree. So yes, we did have better racing. The, the regulations that did came in brought the cars closer together. And as you mentioned in your intro, Ali, we had the greatest number of overtakes across the course of a Grand Prix season since records began. So that, for me, tells you everything you need to know about these regulations. As I say, the flip side was we unfortunately had a runaway winner and a runaway team. Hopefully that won't be the case going into 23, certainly 24. I would imagine Mercedes-Ferrari will make the strides. Certainly we saw Mercedes do that throughout the course of 2022 after all their problems with the porpoising and the bouncing. So hopefully, as I say, and with the budget cap as well, you'll see, might see the likes of McLaren, Aston Martin, and we will have especially great racing going forward over the next two, three years before the next power unit comes in. And then it all kicks off all over again, and then we've got teams at the front and miles away. So let's enjoy it while we can. <laughs> Do you think, though, it was essential, gents, that we had a budget cap along with the change in aerodynamic regulations you can talk about obviously the, the the closeness of racing we had on track and there wasn't that much at times to split particularly the middle order of the pack we had williams being competitive at, at various races which is something that we didn't see throughout a large part of the last five six years or so the, the chances for williams to be competitive on a racing weekend almost slim to none that hasn't quite been the case in the last 12 months of racing or so but there are a lot of other factors to take into account are rather than just the aerodynamic regulations that help create this close-knit group of drivers in the middle of the pack in Formula 1. The budget cap, I think, comes down to being one of the most essential because even if you felt that you could improve that little bit more with your car, the big teams weren't able to overspend and run away with it. I'm thankful that I can see Sam nodding his head at me. So, Yeah, no, I, I think the budget cap is the single biggest rule change in possibly F1, definitely modern F1 history possibly f1 as a whole because it does it will eventually create this level playing field obviously that doesn't exist yet because you've had teams that have historically been able to spend more so they have a, a higher platform to start from um so you're never going to get williams and mercedes in one season they're never going to be on a level but it's definitely going to shrink these gaps um I think next year we'll notice Red Bull being pulled back and in 24 even more so because they would have then had the effect of their their penalty essentially for, for breaching the budget cap. Um, but yeah, I, I genuinely think, I don't think it can be overstated the impact of the financial regulations. As you say, no one can overspend now to go, we're going to get all this advantage. So... I, I'm genuinely looking forward to the next two, three seasons before the power unit regs come in and we see these teams close up because we could, in theory, have sort of five, six teams battling for wins depending on the track. Yeah, I think the importance of the budget cap will be seen the next time we have some form of regulation change because the the proximity between the budget cap being introduced and the new regulations meant that the bigger teams, i.e. your Mercedes, your Red Bull, your Ferrari, had historical advantages when it came to you know, getting a car ready. They've got better infrastructure. They've got more 
people to work on stuff than the smaller teams do. Obviously, the further down the budget cap you go, the more all of that converges as well as the cars converge. So, you know, that maybe still helped the bigger teams a little bit. But, you know, as the other two have rightly said, there'll be convergence as teams start to figure out what components do work and what components don't work on these new aerodynamic regulations. The two biggest factors um, or the two biggest examples I can give you as to whether the budget cap worked or not with regard to these new regulations. Number one, as we saw throughout the course of the season, Ferrari ran out of money, quite simply. Yeah. Um, aside from the strategic errors that they made, the um, reliability issues that they faced, at one point during the course of the season, and you probably guess it was probably just after the summer break, might have been even just a little bit before, I'm guessing just after, they ran out of money to, de- out of money to develop that F175. And that was basically the title race over. Now, obviously, we've had Mattia Binotto's comments as to, well, how did Red Bull and Mercedes manage to keep developing their cars? We didn't. Well, we know but, that with Red Bull. So. Exactly. So that, that's one example. The second biggest example I can give you is in interviewing Jos Capito at Williams, Fred Vasseur, Alfa Romeo, and Gunter Steiner at Haas at the end of the season. I asked them the question, would this team still have a future without the budget cap? All three said no. So that gives you some idea as to the the crucial nature that this cap has had. Those three teams would be heading out of Formula One, be it within the next one, two, three seasons, without the budget cap, because they could just no longer afford to keep playing that game that the big boys at the front in Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull could afford to play, but thankfully are no longer able to play given the regulations that we now have in place. The thing is, is if you have a look over F1 for the last 20 years, you have a look at the amount of teams that aren't here anymore that probably would still be here if there was a budget cap in place at that time. So, no, and then you start thinking about how uh, fruitful being an F1 would be now compared to what everyone's saying about franchising with new teams coming in in the last year or so. You've got Andretti trying to get in uh, as one example, you know, everything that people like Toto Wolf, like Christian Horner, are saying about franchising and value, that's something that we're looking at for 10 years down the line when F1 has built all of that up. And that's what could have happened if the budget cap was in all that time ago. In terms of, because this is rapidly turning into the success of the budget cap in 2022 podcast at the moment, but in terms of, in terms of the aerodynamic regulations, to go back to that, we had success because there was more overtaking. Perhaps the overtaking didn't mean as much because we didn't have as engrossing a title race. It obviously meant a lot further down the line when you look at how close, for instance, Alpine were with, with McLaren in their battle at the end of the season for that kind of best of the rest. The the fight as well between Mercedes and Ferrari for that second place runner up behind the, the dominant Red Bull force this year. But did Formula One get something wrong at any point with these regulations as well? Where actually we're going to have more to improve on, particularly, obviously, when we talk about the, the furor that was around the flexible floors at one point, um, the, the fact that, you know, Mercedes were able to create this uh, unique-looking car that had such a trouble with porpoising, and that then affected the rollout of a large part at the beginning of the season when we were talking about the, the 
driver health issues that came from the new aerodynamic regulations as well. Before we praise it too much, and I don't want to be, you know, Captain Negative here, as I'm often accused by by many people in my life, it wasn't perfect, was it? No, there's there's a couple of areas. You've mentioned porpoising there, but there's there's two other areas for me, and one of them is the aim of these cars was to throw the air, throw the air, the dirty air higher up in the sky to enable the cars to follow closer. That naturally, if you follow it through, means that when it's wet, it's going to throw the rain higher up in the air. It's going to make visibility even worse. So that for me was an area that they should have anticipated being a problem before it became such a big problem. Um, and then the the other thing is it's still too reliant on DRS. You look at, yes, there's been all these overtakes, but a lot of them have still been d- using DRS because they're able to follow closer, which is good, but that means DRS is now too powerful. They're getting halfway along a straight, and they're already ahead. You look at Abu Dhabi, how they, they were able to pass and counterpass on that. The idea of DRS originally was to make them draw levels so that you can... You've got a chance for an overtake, not a guaranteed overtake. And I can tell there's a reaction coming because you and smiling down there. Go on, what have you got for me? Well, Me as well, mate. Well, I'll let you and go first. Well, what I was going to say is that actually because they've taken all the aerodynamics off the top face of the car, actually the IRS is less powerful. And the problems that we had at the end of the season was because of the... DRS, as we know, was meant to put cars alongside each other. You've still got to be the hero on the brakes and make the overtake. That wasn't happening at the start of the year, it, for for the most part. And um, all of the DRS data that F1 and the FIA analyse year on year to perfect the positioning of the activation zone goes out the window as soon as you change aerodynamics regulations you've got to start from scratch basically they still got to use that data to guess but it changes because you haven't got as much slipstream you've got less drag on the cars and what happened at the end of the season i think it looked pretty obvious to me i don't know whether the others agree with it but it looked like they were just overcompensating a little bit with that and that's why the drs was getting a bit too powerful maybe the drs ones were a bit too long because as well as guessing how far back the extra drag is setting you, you've then got to figure out how much closer the cars are to each other off the corners before. All really complicated. I'm sure that'll get sorted out for next season. Um, best example is you go to British Grand Prix, and it was pretty much perfect. We had racing pretty much every lap, not just with certain teams, but pretty much all the way through the grid. So... No, some tracks it was perfect. Some tracks, as Sam said, Abu Dhabi too easy. Um, but it's it's not that it made the RS more powerful. I think it was just the the calculations that were being made were slightly off in some cases. Perfectly summed up by you. To be honest, I mean, aside from that, it's you know the original question was, have the regulations been a success? And we all said yes in a one word answer but there are caveats to be thrown in and we've been now discussing those caveats and one of course was the fact that nobody pretty much with the exception of Red Bull and Adrian Newey who was around back in the 80s with the initial ground effect cars managed to appreciate what was going to happen with these new ground effect cars and 
he saw and they were and red bull was able to combat the effects predominantly to uh, a, a, a high level of degree porpoising and bouncing which mercedes as we saw as toto wolf pointed out they lost six months of development time because they spent the majority of that time trying to combat porpoising and bouncing and because their drivers were were suffering so much and naturally we saw this minor regulation change come midway through belgium i do believe wasn't it guys and now we've got a slightly bigger regulation change coming into effect for the start of next season so yes it did have an effect the racing was improved but there were these downsides as we are now discussing with porpoising bouncing with DRS as well playing its part. So, yes is the answer, but yes as well, there are also these caveats as we're now talking about. And what you can't account for, sorry, what you can't account for when you're doing all these simulations to see what the racing is going to be like before they go on track is you can't account for every little setup variance that a team has. You know, how big a rear wing is going to be, uh, what ride height they're going to use, is it bouncing, is it not bouncing. You can't account for stuff like... um, you know, whether someone's DRS is working, whether it's not working. We saw Red Bull had a few issues through the season with it as well. All those little little things add up to to a massive sort of problem. We've always said at F1, you, you see teams spending how much money before the budget cap on getting half a tenth of a second. It's exactly the same in this scenario. You've got some teams running with pull rod suspension, some with push rod suspension. That changes airflow around the cars. So you're never going to get a perfect marrying of the regulations to get exactly what you want. So when you take all that into account, the regulations definitely worked because even at the tracks where we've been to... Sandford's a great example. It was a snooze fest last season because you couldn't get within two seconds of the car ahead. And all of a sudden, the cars were following each other, and we actually had some form of a race around there. I mean, the other thing is is that you can change the regulations, and then if you're a team like Mercedes and you don't like it and it's not working for you, you can complain until the FIA changed the regulations again for you mid-season. Uh, you which... said that. <laughs> yep, that wasn't us. That, that, that was Ollie. No, oh. but but I mean, but it kind of goes to your point that you're saying, Ewan, is that you can never have a perfect setup for every single. Uh, perfect yeah. regulations for every single car that are and out there on the grid. And the other thing is, well... Meant to be the teams that are meant to adjust to the, make the faster car. And the other thing as well is that the fastest cars are usually out in front and the slowest cars are usually at the back. And as I've said before, we can go on about trying to get a million overtakes in a race. But if the fastest car qualifies at the front and is perfected the setup in practice, the likelihood is, is that no one's going to pass it because it's the fastest. So... You've got to weigh that up as well. It's that the, old phrase, Ali, you can't please all of the people all of the time. <laughs> well, so, apparently I can't please a lot of the people any of the time, so it's all <laughs> good with that one. Um, the other thing that I think Formula One has kind of done for itself, which is a negative with these new regulations, is I touched on it earlier that the drivers weren't necessarily too pleased about the size of the cars initially kind of getting to grips with these wider, more difficult, cumbersome cars to deal with. And not only that, but Formula One is continuing to move down a path of more street-style circuits that a lot of the new arrivals and new circuits that are hitting the Formula One calendar 
aren't on traditional racetracks where actually we've seen, I think the racing has been, and quite clearly, obviously, is far better on traditional race circuits than we've seen on the on the street circuits. Even you look at Baku, which isn't a narrow track, but the bumpiness of the ride added in with the porpoising effect that we've seen this year caused a lot of problems for drivers. And it will be interesting to see, I think, how Formula One copes with that going further down the line with the aerodynamic changes and obviously the size of the cars that we now have, whether somebody at F1 will make a point of street races are fun. I mean, Max Verstappen came out um, in the last few days and said, I'm no longer really a fan of street circuits. I prefer the more traditional circuits. And I would imagine that is a large part because of the size of the vehicles and the regulation changes that we've got. Yeah, for, for me, the ideal ideal regulations would see current aerodynamic regs, but cars of a size from the early 2000s, where you could go side by side around a street track. Even then, and I think we accept that Monaco has always been that exception where to overtake, you've got to be extremely brave. But in these current cars, they are too wide for racing at certain narrow tracks like that. Arguably, Ewan mentioned it earlier, Zandvoort as well. They're sort of on the on the verge of being yeah. too wide for there. So you put the narrower cars on there that are able to follow, and suddenly you could have something absolutely incredible. So, so I see what is that Max possible? is. No. It, yeah, it should be. No. There, there's no reason no. it, sh- it shouldn't be. Yeah, there not, is. Not around Monaco. Not, not Monaco. No, no, Monaco's the exception. exception but so, yeah. No, you, but is it possible to, to take the, the current kind of regulations no. we've got with the reduced drag and just put it into a no. 90% smaller, uh, sorry, 10% smaller car? When you've, smaller got the bra- when you've got the brains that work in Formula 1, of course it's possible. No, it's not because they've got so many stipulated safety structures within the cars that it's nigh on impossible to, I mean, you look at the, the, the Mercedes is a great example. The best place to see it is a side-on crash structure that creates that weird little bump at the front of the side pod. Otherwise, I think Mercedes would have had that nice and smooth and flat and you wouldn't have had that little sort of knobbly bit um, on, on the side pod. So quite simply, all of the safety improvements that have been made over the last however many years and a fantastic job has been done with that, those as well. You know, I, I think they would stop the cars from being slim-lined and brought shorter as well. I think they're probably on the limit of what they can do with it. And the cars are just too heavy now. Because of all the the regulations that have come into place over the past 10, 20 years, mm. the cars have just got heavier and heavier and heavier. And as you pointed out, uh, Ollie, with regard to Max, he says they're too heavy now. They, with regard to street circuits, they can't. These cars can't ride the curbs anymore, mm-hmm. and so therefore you're not getting that level of entertainment uh, of racing around a street circuit like you used to be able to. And it's mainly because of weight and size now. I mean, so many teams struggle to get their cars under the weight limit for last season. Toro Rosso, uh, Toro Rosso, forgive me, folks. <laughs> Alpha, Alpha Tauri still never managed it by the end of the season. They were still something like 14 kilos over, yeah. which is one of their biggest bugbears, which is why they finished ninth in the Constructors' Championship. They just could not get the weight down. Um, so while you've got that, until somebody comes up with a solution for that and another new regulation, then unfortunately, Max is right with regard to the level of racing around the street circuit that he, and I'm sure there are many others, will not find it entertaining 
and we're not going to get that enjoyment out of a racing around a street circuit like we've had previously at certain venues like Baku, like Montreal for argument's sake, which is a temporary kind of street so track if you want to go down that route, um, like Singapore. Mm. Um, it's, it's just not going to happen, unfortunately. And the other thing you, you have or don't have now that they did have back then is they didn't have to fill their fuel tanks up because they were refueling during a race, that would have made the cars lighter. Uh, the engines are a lot more complicated, the power units now. They've got all sorts of bits. It's like a Starship out of a sci-fi film. So it, it, I was going on about safety. It's not just the safety stuff that you can't uh, wiggle with. It's all of that as well. And again, every little tiny piece adds up to a bigger picture that what can you do with it, really? So and it's, it's like you... you... So the the perfect example is frustratingly Formula E showed us how good racing can be around Monaco. That the race there was incredible, and the problem well, like much smaller cars. Exactly. Car. No, the the safe. Oh, where I'm going with this, the safety aspects are largely the same because it's FIA standard. They are largely the same. Admits the F1 beefed up more, but where you've got all the the massively complicated engine, as Ewan was saying, behind. You can't have that as dead space like you do in a Formula E car for for the most part. Yeah, but so, think how much faster F1 goes as well, which means that forces involved in collisions are much bigger. Look at what happened. You know, we thought that roll hoops, for example, have been around since how long in F1, mm. and still we found a way to make one fail this season because it was a new type of collision that it was involved in with Joe Guanyu at Silverstone. So again. Yeah, we'd all love to go back to them screaming engines that were a lot less complicated. We'd love to go back to them smaller cars that you could ring around. But actually, no, the reason they're getting bigger is for, for good reason, is to pre- protect our our drivers that are in the sport, giving us all of these incredible moments. What can you do? You've just got to work with what you've got, basically. Does it actually create the problem potentially for Formula One further down the line when we're talking about the way that F1 is going with how it is branding and improving, shall we say, the, the Formula One calendar? We've obviously got Las Vegas coming in as well. I can't imagine that's going to be the narrowest street circuit, knowing how wide the roads are in the US and particularly in some of the parts of Vegas that they're going to be racing in. But do we find F1 is pulling to go one way and the regulations are kind of pulling to go the other way back to the more traditional race circuits and there's going to be a point where the two will pull apart from each other or, or lock horns whichever metaphor you you prefer to use so to speak i think we're reaching capacity now with regard to street circuits if that's what you're referring mm. to i can't see f1 adding too many more to the calendar because but a number one the calendar is already chockerful anyway and, and unless they decide to open up the Concord Agreement even further and say, right, we're going to go 25, 26, 27. You name the number, we can go to that number. You know, Stefano Domenicali said earlier this year they could go to 30 circuits because that's the level of interest in Formula One at present. But in terms of street circuits, as I said, I think we're reaching the limit now. I don't think they're going to want to go down too many more because we've got plenty of great uh, regulation circuits, shall we say, out there uh, so i don't think that they're, that they're going to add any more street circuits they've got their jewel in the crown now or their new jewel in the crown shall we say with regard to las vegas that's the one that they've been chasing for a long long time so 
hopefully this is it with regard to street circuits. Never say never, of course. That's one of the famous phrases in F1 whenever anybody gets asked a question about something that might never happen again, such as Sebastian Vettel coming back, perhaps. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, Next time on the GP Fans Podcast. Exactly. Well, I, Will I look Seb forward, come back? I look forward to the 2024 calendar being announced with 30 races on it and every single F1 team goes, so we're now reduced to a budget of 110,000, uh, 110 million, sorry, but we've got to get to 30 races around the globe and develop a car. That will be... That will be interesting. Not only that, we've got to develop a bigger car that probably costs a lot more to ship around the place because it's so big, bulky, and has to be taken down in so many different ways. I mean, yeah, never say never, as you say, in, but it's um, it, it's, it's 135 million for the next three years, by the way. Okay. Drops, right. okay. drops by five million for the next three seasons: 23, 24, 25. Well, we'll see. We'll see how that you know impacts on that thirty race calendar that we're going to have in in twenty twenty four when it gets announced. Uh, just finally, then with the with the regulation changes, gentlemen, do you think, as uh, we've touched on already, we're going to have an adaption to what we started in twenty twenty two with for the start of twenty twenty three? Are there likely to be more tweaks as we go on the teething process, if you will, for these new regulations? Is that going to continue over the next few years while we try and work out how to make the racing as good as possible? Certainly. Certainly. It's it's, it's how F1's always worked. It's always grown. As, as Ewan mentioned earlier, the roll hoop, they made a change because that that failed. So there's always going to be things that they find, they fix, and move on. And that's just a natural process. Is the most important the wet weather racing, perhaps? Yeah. That's that's the next big fix, because we've seen, as we mentioned earlier, that there's the new uh, floor coming in for next year. So the cars are going to be slightly raised. And so but with regard to wet weather, not only with the aerodynamics of the car with regard to the wet weather, but the tyres as well. That's that, that's another podcast that we could do as well <laughs> with regard to Pirelli's tyres, because they were bloody awful this year, let's face it, when it came to wet weather racing. Don't, <laughs> don't hide your opinion on that one, Ian. <laughs> they spent all that money producing a wet weather tyre that nobody could use. So, in fairness, it was the, just absolutely pointless. The new wet weather tyre looked like it worked really well in Abu Dhabi in the testing in the bone dry in the uh, post-season testing that we saw a few of the teams running it with. So there's hope, maybe, that at least it works in the dry from what we've seen so far. So they are trying, at least, Ian, to make the wet weather tyre a little bit better, which will please many people out there. But we do need to have an element now where we can race, not only with full wet tyres and a full wet tyre that works, but, as Sam touched on, a way to maybe work out so that the spray doesn't kick up as much or find a way for F1 to deal with that situation because we have been robbed this year thanks to these new regulations <coughs> of potentially some great races that didn't start on time because we were delayed because of the wet because fans love watching co these cars try and deal with the conditions Ewan's not too pleased about the idea of great races no I'm just I'm not sure how much is actually of that is down to the new regulations or whether it's uh, as we say, the tyres. The other thing is that the tyres get rid of so much more water than they used to as well, which which adds to all the spray. So, yeah, yeah, tyres got to be sorted for the wet weather. Um, was it Japan? We had Latifi and Vettel came in at the same time as the safety car and put intermediates on, having spent however many hours in the pits not going anywhere. I mean, yep. it's a bit silly, isn't it? So... Um, but just to add on to what Sam was saying about tweaking and stuff as well, we've already had two components banned for next year, effectively, the Aston Martin rear wing. 
um, the little armchair sort of bit on the side. That's been banned because it's too close to old rear wings and the way that it moved the airflow around. Um, and Mercedes front wing with the end plate, with how it was all joined together and gaps in it and bringing out wash back in. That was going against what they wanted from the regulations as well. So they've effectively put an end to that. So, you know, it will always tweak. And every time that someone thinks they found something genius, they'll find a way to say, actually, no, you can't do that because it, it stops us doing what we want to do. <laughs> and there was me thinking it was the NFL that was a no fun league, but apparently Formula One try and do that as well. Uh, gents, uh, thank you very much for giving us a little rundown on the new regulations and their success in their first 12 months in Formula One. There will be more on this and plenty more throughout the offseason, of course, on gpfans.com, where Ian Ewan and Sam can provide their musings for everybody over the winter break. And then we're really not that far away from getting back into the thick of the build-up to the 2023 season and, of course, testing as well and into the new campaign. GP Fans Global on all social media platforms as well for the best of gpfans.com and plenty more. And, of course, you can find us at the Stewards Room podcast as well throughout the season and the off-season on all good podcasting outlets. But until next time, it's goodbye for now. 